Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb, a man who is still recovering from his illness, but I think maybe doing okay? Doing okay. I also don't want any sympathy, because I, I made some decisions where uh, I probably prolonged my illness by going uh, a little harder than I needed to, and... Mm. Uh, didn't really give myself the proper recovery time. So no sympathy necessary, but slowly working my way back to 100%. Yeah, I wasn't angling for sympathy so much as just, if he sounds weird, this is why. Yeah, I don't, I mean, uh, this might just be my voice now, honestly. Like, I may have just like permanently damaged myself. Just a uh, little raspy. Yeah, a know? little raspy, a little like thick. I just like feel thick all the time. It's, it's kind of gross to describe it that way, but that is how it feels. And uh it sucks. I'd, I'd like to be better. Okay. I'm I'm doing all right. I Good. I'm glad. Hang. I just hung out with uh, Josh Show and his family for the weekends. Very cool. Which, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I've hung out with his family a, a few times over the years, and it's it's just always a good time. Like they're good people. I like them a lot. Obviously, I like Josh a lot, and got to spend uh, a lot of time in the car with Josh because. We, we drove from like Virginia to the Atlanta area where his, his parents live. So have not been on like an eight hour road trip in a while. Uh, it was a lot. It is a lot. Last time I did it was actually to see you when I came down to, uh, to play SCG Pittsburgh. That was about an eight hour road trip. And I think I am out of shape for them. Just used to be very good at like mounting up for the weekend and, and going and doing that. But it feels longer these days. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't know how much longer I can do that, but I'm going back uh, to visit Josh this weekend. Going to play in some PTQs. So Ooh, very exciting! You got your first PTQ lined up. Yeah, I'm dude. I'm registered and everything. Uh, have most of my cards even. Are you waiting on them in the mail? Are you trying to get them last minute at the event, as we advise uh, people not to do? What's the plan? So I have a plan. What I did was we went to a store in the area when we're down uh, in Atlanta area. And we played a bunch of games. I kind of figured out what I wanted to pick up. And then just some of the stuff was pretty overpriced as I think, you know, you should expect just like buying directly from a store, you know, instead of like shopping around on TCG player or whatever. So there there are just some things I couldn't buy, you know, just like Ren and six after it just got reprinted, for infinite dollars, I was just like, no, nah, I can maybe find these cheaper. So at the very least, I doubt I'll have to pay more than what they had them for. Okay. So my plan, and I'm realizing now I should have just sacrificed everything for the sake of convenience because now I have to like check around the stores in this area. Mm-hmm. That's that's a little bit easier. I can like maybe check online for stuff like that. But so I'm, I'm short some random sixes and maybe some last minute card changes. And I'm working on some sideboarding guides and whatnot. So back in the thick of things only to almost certainly just like go into the store and you know revolving door out because no one's wearing masks or whatever who knows (laughs) anything could happen anything could happen that's that's the motto of both my life and uh my relationship with magic these days it's just anything could happen completely everything's on the table yeah so i don't know like had fun hung out but like also did a bunch of work so so it's kind of I'm kind looking forward like to days, hearing. Honestly. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing like what what your conclusions are, having just completely immersed yourself in the format and done it in a fashion that, like you said, like the old days, just actually getting out there, grinding some matchups, and 
you know, making some conclusions and trying to prepare for a specific field. There's an actual tournament that you are participating in. And I think that's uh, a very interesting diversion from where we've, we've been like doing all of our prep over the last three years. It's, it's a completely different setup. Yeah. Josh brought up an interesting point too, where it would probably be a lot of fun for us if some of these PTQs were standard, because then we could just jam on arena and yep. doing it on, on magic online is not the same just because it's so slow, you know? So I don't know, maybe, maybe next season after standard rotation, maybe stores will start looking into it again. Maybe wizards will, you know, support the format, revisit it a little bit. And I think that would be cool. Yeah, but I, I think, I think after rotation, you could feasibly put it on the table. I, I, there's no way it was going to work this go around, but after rotation, it's, it's interesting. And I, I would consider it if I was wizards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like a good idea, but yeah, looking at the PTQs, it's like a, a bunch of modern ones, a bunch of pioneer ones, the occasional sealed. Uh, so we, we looked around on the wizards event locator and figured out, uh, which which ones to go to this weekend. And since we had just done a bunch of work on modern, we were prioritizing those over Pioneer a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So this weekend is modern and sealed for me. And how far are you traveling for these two events? They're they're up by Josh. So I'm I'm in Richmond. He's just outside of DC in like Annandale. And I think one is pretty close to his place and then the other one is in maryland so like a little bit further but both stores seem pretty reasonable did a little bit of research uh the first one was kind of weird though because it was like the info on the website did not it was not accurate you know it was like it, it has it's captain 64 players call the store to register and then josh called the store and they're like no just sign up on melee also it's captain 52 and you know just like little things like that where it's like i i don't know exactly what to expect from all this Mm -hmm. stuff oh and like the start times were wrong too yeah not a great start Uh, i imagine some of these folks are probably running their first events or at least their first events in a very long time and uh not really up to speed on the the proper setup the proper etiquette so It'll be interesting to see how that goes. I, similar situation for my first event. Uh, sign up was very easy. Uh, I was able to just go on the website, do it. It's it's strange in that it's so cheap. Like I'm actually concerned about how cheap it is. Ten dollars for a constructed tournament. Constructed that tournament. is hella cheap. Yeah. Our, so the one that we're playing on Saturday is thirty five, and a hundred percent of the prize pool is paid out in store credit. So okay. that's cool. And you know that's just like directly advertised. We know what we're getting into, so that's nice. Yeah. But yeah, Josh even brought up like, oh, that that feels cheap because like towards the end of us playing at Grand Prix and stuff, it was like $100 or whatever to enter a GP. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Prices got out of control for a while there. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, $10 is super cheap, but it's like if, if these are going to be good for your store and you think that you're going to get close to capping and I feel like they should in most most instances, you know, you if, if you're so. capped at like. 50 or 60 spots because your your store space is limited or whatever it's like i don't know charge a little bit more makes make some money off of this honestly yeah i i went looking now that you mentioned it, i i actually didn't even look at prizes so i i just wanted to see what these these were and it's just like first place promo nykthos and the dream hack entry uh all top eight promo non-foil nykthos additional prizes in store credit will be awarded based on rank to all top eight payout is based on attendance in the form of $10 added to the pool of credit per attendee. So 100%. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Uh, seems very good. <laughs> Additional door prizes if you raffled off. Uh, top eight also gets three packs of mystery booster convention edition. So 
It seems great. I'm I, I'm very impressed by how generous this one is. Yeah, I'll be a little bit up in Albany if folks are interested. In it. I mean, I may as well do them a solid. They're you know running a cheap event. Hopefully, we'll run it well. I'm going to Zombie Planet in in the Albany area. Okay, we're we're going to Huzzah Hobbies and then I I think Game Haven in Maryland. I don't know. Okay, but we I also looked at a lot of store names, so I I could be wrong about the Maryland one, but yeah, kind of blended together at this point. Yeah. Uh, and this was all done at like 2 a.m. driving <laughs> driving back home last night. So I was a little loopy, a little out of it. But, you know, we got a plan and I have to get my car's air conditioner fixed and then go around and maybe find the missing cards and also the stuff that I didn't buy because I just added at the last second, which I tend to do. So pretty, pretty set up for four color Omnath and uh, is it Merktide? And we'll just see what happens. Yeah, just soundly in the top of the meta not looking to do anything too crazy sticking with possibly the two best decks and i think that's a near fair statement yeah i think so too before we get into that though okay after our, our 10 minute preamble i want to i want to talk about show's kind of a preamble at this point isn't it like i, it's I feel true. like it's often just all preamble they get an hour and a half in and they're like when is the actual show gonna start yeah, it's not happening well, well, we'll maybe next, next week yeah. yeah uh so i want to talk about marvel snap a little bit because I got into the beta a couple weeks ago. I think you got in like a little bit after me, right? Mm-hmm. I got in when I was down in New Zealand. So uh, about three weeks ago now, or two and a half weeks ago, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So this this is a game that has, I don't know, it's just like, it feels like it should be getting more attention, but I understand it's still in closed beta, right? So that's kind of why people might not be paying attention, but even just like their YouTube videos for announcing the game and stuff seem to hit pretty low considering it's like a massive IP and it's like Ben Brode's new company in their first game. And he, you know, ran Hearthstone for the first like eight years or whatever of its life. And I think he is like widely regarded as being pretty damn good at his job and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. And if people are actually interested in the game or, you know, are just not paying attention to it because they, they can't really play it right now. That is my sense. I, I think for anything, like, it may feel to you and I like everyone is playing it. A lot of people in our circles are playing it. I know all of the discords, including our own that I'm in, are talking about it. Very, very highly, highly regarded. I mean, maybe the most highly regarded IP on the planet, quite frankly. Uh, yeah. In terms of, at least in terms of marketability, it kind of sells itself. And I think on average, though, People just don't know about it. And I have a feeling a large percentage of people listening to this podcast are not playing. I, if I, if the percentage of people playing that were listening was under 1%, I would not be shocked. Yeah, same. But I don't know. I'm I, I've, I'm playing a lot of mobile games currently or, you know, off and on at least. And for the most part, my gaming history has been like I, I don't really like new things mm-hmm. and I mean, it's a combination of that and and knowing what I do like, right? So it is very rare for something that is kind of new and certainly, you know, this game engine is is sort of like the first of its kind. It's like kind of Gwent-ish, but not really. And I I just love it, man. I just like fell in love immediately. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play it because, you know, my, my friend is is working on it and I'll try it and give him some feedback or whatever. And then I was just hooked. I'm with you. Uh, you kind of gave me the hard sell on it. You you said it was pretty incredible doing a lot of revolutionary things. 
And it took me a while to like really get my interest rolling. I was just very busy at the time it dropped. So yeah, I uh, didn't really have a window for it. But obviously, you know, you recommending it makes me want to try it. And eventually got my hands on it. And it is brilliant for its space. It's just like the perfect mobile TCG. That, that's the best way to describe it. It's like everything in the TCG space that has been ported over to mobile is holding on to a lot of the old ways of doing TCGs. And, you know, even in terms of like Hearthstone, like deck sizing, going down to 30 cards was a huge deal. Like it seemed very small at the time. Well, Snap goes down to 12 cards, 12 card deck. And you think, well, 12 card deck, this, poss- this can't possibly be interesting. It's so interesting. It's incredible. Like the games are super varied. They are rich with strategic possibilities. You can play them in so many ways. The deck building is what really shines to me. I think there's so many different decks you can build. And they're all like a little bit uh, on rails, like like a lot of the packages all sort of slot together. But there's room for variation too. And yep. uh, I think interesting variation. And I've just come away very impressed by the game. I think it's it's very good. And you, know, you mentioned there not being too many things like it. What I actually find as the most fascinating part of the game is completely stolen. It's stolen from Backgammon, actually, which is a game I love and have played a ton of, the doubling cube, essentially. And that's the snap mechanic in Marvel Snap. That's very much a Backgammon thing. And and what it is, uh, essentially, you can propose to double the stakes of the match at any point. And at that point, the option to then double the stakes passes back to your opponent, and they can double it one final time. And then you play... Uh, so, you know, if you're playing Arena Ladder, you're always, no matter what, playing for your two pips. In Marvel Snap, the number of pips you're playing a varying match for varies over time. And when someone proposes they double the points, you can withdraw. And actually, in like backgammon, and I have a feeling, well, I, I know this to be true in Snap. I just don't think it's like super talked about or super explored. A huge part of the strategic edge you get is using your doubling cube efficiently and increasing the wager of games in spots where it's beneficial for you to do so without making it clear to your opponent they're in trouble because they can just withdraw and sacrifice the game at that point. So the best backgammon players get the maximum stakes possible from their opponents, and that's how they come out ahead. And I think that's going to be very true of the best snap players. Some of it is just like you get to dictate like how many cubes you play for, so just like raise the stakes over and over if you're very good. I think that's a fine baseline strategy. But when it comes down to a more refined metagame and where like the best players are a little bit more, uh, where that title is like more contested, basically when the game goes out of closed beta and it's just available to everyone, I think the people who succeed will be the people who really leverage the snap or doubling cube mechanic to the best of the, their ability. Well, it's it's weird because that that matters for like climbing and elo and stuff, right? But once you get to a certain point, that just stops mattering. So, like, the legend system isn't based on, like, snap returns? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're placing on the ladder, it doesn't regard, like, how many points you're playing for? So, you're you're playing for one cube at the start. And if the game goes to showdown, you're playing for two cubes. Correct. And then if one person snaps, then it's four. If both, you are playing for eight. Yes. And then... Basically, if if you do it optimally every single time, it's like you get eight with every win and you only lose one. When you win. Yes. And that, there's obviously a lot of variation of that, right? Because like you can you can snap and they don't, right? Because they are pretty sure they're losing or whatever. So climbing and getting to Mythic or whatever is pretty easy and it's, it's just level 100, right? So you have to be like net up a thousand cubes. Mm-hmm. And then from there, like that's that's where all the rewards end. 
So then you're just like in ELO, your number's going up, but you're not getting anything from it. But the uh, is the ELO still based on how many cubes per match you're winning? Like, do you, does your ELO accelerate yeah. more? Yeah, yeah so, so it's still important. It's just not important for like the gotcha returns, basically. Yeah. So I okay. So like, yeah, Mythic is a hunt level one hundred, right? Yeah. And towards the end, I was towards the end of the the first season I played, I was like two seventy, right? So it's okay. like I'm almost three x Mythic. But I got the exact same stuff as just if I hit Mythic once. So, like, who cares? Right. So, yeah, my number went up, but it doesn't do anything, at least yet. You know, but, you're, still- but your position on the ladder changed because of, like, the, the leaderboard based right. on you getting but more cubes. Their leaderboard also didn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Of course. So, the leaderboard that they introduced was just total cubes gained. Great. I, I mean, I think that is the correct way to do it because that emphasizes that like this doubling cube is a hugely important part of the game. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, Kanye Best, people might know him from when he was like jamming vampires and like playing in the Phantom Legends tournaments and stuff. And he's very active in our Discord and whatever. Uh, he's he's another person that's been playing Snap and we've been talking like almost every day about it. And we've, we've also played on the ladder, I think, 11 times at this point, nice. maybe 12. What's the record? Uh, very good for me. Um, (laughs) I, I think I'm, I'm X two and one where X is eight or nine. Shots fired, Kanye shots fired. No, he knows. Don't worry. He knows. Um, but okay. So he, he was like almost 500. Like he, he had like double my ELO cause they did the leaderboard thing and they just started playing a bunch cause he wanted to be at the top of the leaderboard. He loves leaderboards by the way. Yeah, just love, num- love number go ladder. up. Yep, claim number one several times. Uh, just at, you can't get away from the leaderboards. But but like we we all admit, including him, that it's just like really toxic and also doesn't mean anything, right? Yep. So, uh, but he's just like oh, I can't stop. But he he was like fourth or something on their leaderboard. I was maybe like fiftieth or whatever. I I basically slowed down the amount of playing that I did. But mm-hmm. yeah, the game is really good. People should definitely check it out. I don't know when it's going into open beta or anything and i don't i don't like many things and i certainly don't recommend many of the things like you may be like oh jerry is playing mobile games he does not talk about them very much yeah it's because i like them and i don't necessarily know that other people would so i'm not going to recommend them to you but this is a game that is just like legitimately good legitimately fun and it's beautiful too by the way like the the art is beautiful the the graphics i mean it's a tcg so you wouldn't expect the graphics to like really matter they're beautiful. They they look outstanding. All the cards look amazing. <laughs> well, pro tip: turn turn the uh, the whatever down to medium. Turn it down to thirty FPS because it does. I have uh, iPhone XS Max, so uh, a few years old at this point. But like, it does uh, drain my battery pretty quickly when I had it on sixty FPS. So mm. I I have a newer iPhone and uh, I juice those babies up and it looks incredible. So and if, what's if the battery life like? Fine. I haven't, okay. I haven't noticed any, I mean like, so I have the, I think 13 max is the phone I have. I don't know. I've, I've lost count at this point. So it is, it's the bigger version and it's also a, a newer version. So it's yeah. pretty well suited to run this game, but cool. Yeah. I, I want, I want to get a new phone at some point, but might wait until the 14 or something, but probably a good idea. You always want to get like maximum equity out of your new phone and it, it's, it's tough. Cause there's always a new one around the corner. So 
Well, it, it's especially bad now because it's like two months away or something, right? It's mm. like it'd be kind of silly for me to do. Tell it that now. to my wife who just dropped her phone in the pool and had. Well, one you can't you can't help that stuff. That is just the cost of doing business, right? Mm. So if you do that and you have to replace it, whatever. I'm suspicious. I feel like she was just <laughs> in the market for a new phone, and oops, I dropped it. And one of those scenarios, and then well, once it, once you're in the market, you stop maybe taking as good a care of the current that is, one. That is fair. No, she was due though. She had, I think, like an eight max. So she was a few years old at this point, definitely. So, yeah, check the game out. Uh, it's it's you know, it's not magic. It's not Hearthstone. It is definitely a very different unique. game. But the engine, it's, it's very unique. The engine is so fun and I, I hate fun, right? Like I, I don't say that about a lot of things. So this honestly should speak volumes as to like how good this game is. And I don't know. I'm, I'm still playing it like a month later. I'm not going as hard because the the collection track mostly like it slows down a lot. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm, I'm sure we could do like a whole episode talking about that in general. I'll just, I'll let people figure it out because it's, it's super unique and very interesting, and I think a lot of people like poo-poo it, but I, I sort I've of enjoyed like it. it. Yeah. I, I actually like how it makes uh, opening packs exciting again. Right. And by packs, I mean you, you get single card rewards, but it's the only way to get cards. And yeah. so when you're like really looking for a card and you finally flip it over, it feels good in a way that like opening an actual booster pack does that is not replicated in any other online system not magic online not Correct. hearthstone I, I just think it has a unique feel to it and uh you know there, there's some downsides to it too but in terms of capturing that pack opening experience I, I think it does it better than any other digital game agreed absolutely agreed and i i haven't felt that in 20 years probably yep yeah it's cool so that that part is interesting to me and it's it's one of the aspects where it's like no i i actually I can enjoy this for what it is, right? Like not everything has to be like, well, if I want all the cards, I spend $500 and I get all the cards or whatever. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do that with every single game because I'd be broke. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm not a dollar into snap and having a great time. So that's another, you know, really nice. I, I mean, could you spend money? Absolutely. Could you hotshot yourself into larger card pools? Yeah. But I, I don't think you have to, quite frankly, the game is still fun uh, at, at all implementations of it. So yeah, just, just try and enjoy the thing for what it is and try and enjoy, you know, playing a game where you don't have access to every single card. Yep. Because that is a novel concept that we haven't had for a very long time. And it's not like, Oh, you know, they have lightning bolt and I have shock, you know, that's not what it is. It's like your, your opponents might have some different cards than you do. But that's okay. You can, yeah, you, you, can you get win. very good cards early on, very very competitive cards. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I think like at this point, you know, a couple of weeks of play, no dollars in. I I think I have very close to the best deck, if like not the actual best deck, it within range of being able to be played. So I, I think it's totally fine. I, I still win like eighty percent of my games. So. Yeah, about the same. Lower down right. the ladder, of course. We'll see if that sticks when I get to the the high end. Oh, okay. Where where are you right now? I'm at like 40 something. So I still have a lot of climbing to do. I, j- I just don't play as much as you do. Like if your yeah. ability to put in reps is like so intense. And I'm just like, you know, I, I'm, I'm playing every day. I do, I do my missions every day. I make sure I maximize the amount of returns I get. Uh, so that, that's a lot for me, for me to be playing five or six games a day. That's a pretty high number uh, in terms of how I usually engage with things. But yeah, I think as long as it is keeping you coming back every day like that, yep. that's saying something. Yep, for sure. 
yeah, I don't know. Then there are times where I'm just like, eh, I want to just like play for an hour. I'll just like jam for an hour and climb a bunch. So yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. So the the reset uh, sent me back down to 70 okay. from from 270. And then I got back to 100. The, not the day it happened, but the next day. Yeah, I think I was like at uh, 60 something when the reset happened. Okay. And then I, I don't know what that brought me down to. But dude, get there. Get those rewards. You got to get those rewards every month, man. All right, all right. I'll get the rewards. But like I said, I have I have most of the cards I want. Like short of getting into like the pool three stuff, I'm I'm mostly good. So yeah, but I mean, once once you get to pool three, it's a drag. So yeah, absolutely. Get those rewards. All right, uh, magic time. You ready for this? I I am ready for magic. Oh, one more thing before we go to magic. Yeah, I uh, I got a Steam Deck this week. Do you know oh. you know what a Steam Deck is? Yeah, it's like the hot the hotkeys. No. Right. That's a stream deck. Oh, what's a Steam Deck? I got a Steam Deck, which which is very different. I've already had a Stream Deck. Steam Deck is essentially. Why? So I get that Steam is a platform, right? Yes. Like, why would they name it that? Yeah, that's a good question. Now that I say that, I'm like, is that actually the name? I'm pretty sure that's the name. I think it is. Yeah, it's a portable system. It's like, uh, actually, uh, it's, it's a port- portable system. It's like a PC. Switch for Steam games? Yep. Yep, and it has a dock like switches do, and it doesn't do the disconnected controllers and stuff. But a, essentially, a fully portable PC that can also Wait. dock and. So if you dock it to play on the the TV or whatever, and it doesn't, you just need different controllers then. Yes, yeah, okay. you'd use like a Bluetooth controller. Okay, um, but they all That's... work. Every, every single conceivable Bluetooth controller works with it. Um, yeah, because Steam was already pretty good about that, and they weren't making their own stuff anyway. So. Yep. Yep. So okay. it's a pretty easy barrier. Um, but it runs, you know, AAA games. You play Elden Ring on it if you want as a portable. That's a pretty big deal. And then obviously, just like as someone who has a massive Steam library, it's I, you know, I essentially bought this system and had 600 games already. Right. In addition to the fact that it's just a PC. So if you want to do emulation type stuff, it's, it's all on the table. You can You can do all of it. Uh, really like it so far. I'm really pleased with the purchase. And it's weird because like, I, I also like my Switch and I use my Switch a lot, but I have a feeling now that I have this, my Switch might be, it might be DOA. And it's just like a more powerful system that can play way more games that I own. And I, I have it hard to believe I'll go back to Switch now that I have this. The Switch library is so good though. I, I guess there's still the exclusives, right? Like that could yeah. still pull me in. But outside of that, like I'll never buy any multi-platform game for Switch again because I would just buy it for the Steam Deck sure. instead. And then I'd also have it on my computer, which is one of the things I ran into a lot where I was like buying a version of a game I liked and the portable version. Oh, yeah. And now I just get to buy it once. Yeah, so don't do exciting. that. That's yeah. that's kind of silly. It's a little silly. But if you like have a game you really love, and this is often like an indie title. So like, you know, you're talking a $5 game, not a sure. AAA $60 game. So it's not as hard to swallow. But did you play Shredder's Revenge? I played a little bit by myself. I don't think like that's the purpose of the game. Like no, playing it by not. yourself is just it's kind not. of uh, lame. But it, it's cool for what it is, and I'm looking forward to like actually getting together with like my cousin and brother who I grew up playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game with, and and playing through it at some point. Yeah, it's fun. I, yeah. I like it a lot. It's cool. It's 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 really well done. Uh, it's just not a single player game. I mean, it is, but it's just like it, it is. It, exactly the kind of game that is more fun with friends yep you know it's like playing mario kart by yourself it's like i mean you can but not the same yep all right magic time now now it's magic time i will i will allow the progression to magic two hours into the podcast we may talk about it 
All right, what do you want to know about Omnath or Murktide or the matchup? I just want to know if there's anything that has made you like sort of doubt either of these two decks. Because like I said, I had these at the top of the food chain pre, well, not my testing, your testing, pre-testing. I would have said these were the uh, best two decks. Has that held up? Are you worried about, you know, metagame adaptations? If you look at the most recent Magic Online results, you know, I, I don't think it's either of these decks has really been shining through in the challenges. Is there something here to worry about or is this just, you know, small sample size? And I, and I say that actually like five, four color won one of the challenges. It right. just has been absent from some and of the other ones. So Murktide got second. In, was in the, the runner up? The other yeah. One. yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. This is the same one. Same one. Yeah, but if you look at the other event, they're just like both absent for the most part. So, interesting. Uh, Batutino, seventh place with four color. I'm scrolling through. Yeah, in, in the other event you're talking about now. A ton of hammer just it's all over the place hammer. in the top eight. That's good, yeah. though. I think, I think I'm think i maybe going to like accidentally over-prep for hammer uh, just by virtue of the cards that I'm including. So Okay. Yeah, that's good. Good place to be. But I don't know, man. It's, it's so different, right? IRL versus online and was was kind of having these these conversations in the car too where it's like it is so bizarre to not like have just no idea of what uh in-store metagame is going to look like because you know you don't know who is traveling you don't know what decks the local players own and stuff like that it's like it you know there could just be tournaments with like no four color in it or whatever right so it's it's just so weird to me to me, I feel like that is the deck that should always be there. Like there shouldn't – there's a good argument that any other deck, like even things like Hammer, Merktat, I think all those decks based on a local metagame could be underrepresented. When you talk about decks that the best players are going to gravitate towards, the thing that is just like omnipresent in the format, to me it feels like it should be four color all the time. So I agree with that, but there's still no guarantee, right? So I don't know. It's it's just weird. And it's like, well, how 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 much should this affect how I'm approaching things? And it is it is definitely making me try to be more of a generalist. Okay. You know? So can you tell me about your specific list? Where what kind of conclusions these have pushed you towards? Things you're doing differently from other folks is always what I'm most interested in. I uh, I still think counterspell mostly stinks especially in like the the three and four mana sorcery deck and i don't know it's like also just not that easy to cast right Mm -hmm. so there's i think there's a lot of downsides and i really like the risen reef approach so i'm i'm sticking with that and i don't know exactly how that's going to affect things like i've i've tried utopia sprawl and um you know most of the risen reef lists uh, cut expressive iteration because you just have this other card draw mm-hmm. engine and iteration and risen reef is like a little bit too much of like spinning your wheels and you know pretty bad when you're behind and stuff like that so i don't know i mean i i could take the list that i have built currently and play it and probably be fine with it but then it's like uh, you look at like bakutina's list he has risen reef and you know no counter spell no iteration but also no Utopia Sprawl and is doing like Eladomri's Call, whereas I have the Heat Traverse Bobble package, which I think is really good with Risen Reef. Yep. So I don't know. I still have uh, a few things left to figure out for sure, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to stick with Risen Reef because 
I think that it is slightly better in an open field because you actually just get like these these pseudo combo turns where I don't know, it's a, like matchups like Tron or whatever, or even like Amulet if you're kind of behind. Yep. It's just like you have no real catch-up mechanism or no way to like actually put a hammer in them. It's it's very much like you have to deal with things individually as they come out. And then once you get so far behind, it's like, what do you do? And uh, assembling like multiple Risen Reefs and just kind of chaining off with the pitch elementals and uh, triggering Omnath in the meantime, and then like blinking it every uh, third land you hit with Ephemerate to, to reset it and keep generating mana and stuff. Like it, it, it is a soft combo that like lets you go through a large portion of your deck, if not like all of your deck. And then in the meantime, you're just like solituding and like furying things. So it, it gives you a, a comeback mechanism, which I really like. Uh, I have to imagine like that in conjunction with Emrakul allows you to pull out of basically any situation, right? There should be, there should be no insurmountable odds you can face when you're able to set up those kind of games. Yeah, I mean, Emrakul is good in in games where, like, you kind of have stuff going on. But I think Emrakul, just by itself, you're really relying on your opponent to be able to just, like, obliterate a lot of their own stuff, right? But, like, I don't know. Think about Amulet versus just an Emrakul and, like, a dry board. It's like, okay, well, you have this 13-power thing, but Amulet can't really interact with itself and, like, self-sabotage or anything. So, like... You're, you're going to maybe be able to attack a Primeval Titan into the Emrakul and maybe force them to pick up a lot of their lands or something, but like then they still get another turn and like you just have this Emrakul that's not super threatening to them. So I feel like you can very easily Emrakul things like Amulet or Tron and still lose. And I I have not ever Emrakuled a Amulet player, so it's really hard, but... Well, actually, no. Hold on. I, I, maybe, I, maybe I should take that back because they do have Valakut. That that's what I was going to say. Like they have ways to just kill themselves, quite frankly. And if if you're not doing that, if you're not able to do that, you should be able to blow up a lot of their board. You can do like fail to find stuff and waste a lot of their tutoring capacity. Uh, you can burn through some of their resources, which are somewhat finite in some instances. Like there's things specifically you need, and if you're able to account for those, I think you can do some damage. Like they just play with their deck in their hand a lot so maybe they're exploitable you could like turn their turn into pain for summoners packs and things like that so i, I always find that when i cast an Emrakul against someone it actually completely warps my opinion of what their deck is capable of because you start looking <laughs> at through this other lens and it's it's really hard to to piece together until you live it i i think you can do quite a bit of damage to an amulet player with an Emrakul. i think you can do a bunch of damage but if, if you're still in the spot where it's like, oh, I have this Emrakul and like nothing else because they they just went over the top of me and like all of our cards traded. But, you know, they still ended up with Amulet or two and, you know, Azusa or Dryad or whatever and had the capability of casting a Titan and stuff. It, it doesn't seem like the Emrakul is enough to get around that. But yeah, if, if they do have a Dryad and you are able to do a bunch of stuff, obviously you can just like Valakut them down. Mm -hmm. But Without a dryad, it's it's pretty weird. But yeah, I mean, you should be able to access a summoner's pack somehow. You assume so. Now, now I just want to Emrakul an amulet player and and, and we'll see out what the happens. You know? to them. Yeah. But you know what I mean, though, right? It's like if if they are doing their like go big, go over the top thing, it's like pretty bad for you, and there's not a whole lot you can do. It is you. You are very much in the position of like Emrakul and prey or trying yeah. to assemble multiple risen reefs or whatever. So yeah, you you need things to go right from that spot for sure. Yeah, so 
I don't know, Risen Reef to that end too is like a little bit more proactive, right? Uh, especially if you are doing the Utopia Sprawl thing, although, I don't know, Utopia Sprawl is clunky and there are just like a lot of draws where you need to like fetch a Triome on turn one anyway. Mm. So I, I don't necessarily think it works out even though the dream scenario, it, it certainly looks really good where you like turn to a Risen Reef and now you're just like kind of the beatdown deck. Yep. But I, I think that I think that Reef is good. I... You know, like I said last week, I, I've been watching like a lot of Kane stream and he prefers the, the counterspell, no Risen Reef version, like definitely the classic one. And I don't know, like they they win a lot. Those players definitely do really well, but it, it just doesn't seem correct to me. I mean, playstyle matters a bunch. I, I think if you have a way you're going to approach this matchup. Or I can I can adjust my playstyle, though. It's just a matter of finding out like what's correct. Well, no, no. So. I know that you could play any play style, but if you're playing in such a way that like you think playing momentum forward is giving you the best chance to win, then that matters a lot. Like you are playing in a way to put opponents in a blender, give them no decisions and like sort of seize the momentum with this deck, then counterspell is going to be much worse for you. Like just because you're choosing to play that way, it doesn't mean you're making like an arbitrary choice. I'm saying if you are convinced that's the correct way to play, that can work counterspell out of your your playbook, whereas these players, they're convinced that you're supposed to play in another fashion. And like, you know, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But once they believe that, they're going to play in such a way to make counterspell better. Yeah, and certainly like build their decks in that way and, and whatnot. Right. But right. It's a ripple effect. I don't know. It's like uh you you think that Risen Reef is maybe a little bit maybe not worse, but like not very good against Murktide, and that was the the matchup that we were focusing on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the stuff that you would have instead, like Counterspell, is just also not that good. It's definitely a card that you shave in sideboarding. Like, you'll keep some copies in or whatever, but... Yeah, it needs to hit very specific things, I think. Risen Reef, and by extension, playing Cavern of Souls, is very, very good. And mm-hmm. R- Risen Reef by itself is like, yeah, you know, you invest three mana, sorcery speed, doesn't really affect the battlefield. If it if it hits a land on the first time, that definitely matters, right? Because, you know, now you're up on mana, maybe get to double spell territory a little bit faster or, you know, play around spell pierce and the post board games play around mystical disputes, stuff like that. But I I did enjoy Risen Reef in that matchup, even though it seems like, oh, I can't afford to take time to do this. Like there, there were definitely moments where I was able to and it was solid. And then the fact that you're playing Risen Reef means that you want to play Cavern of Souls is like, I mean, yeah. Cavern of Souls Omnath is just one of the best things you can possibly be doing against them or maybe even against the counterspell variants in the mirror, you know? Yeah. Cavern of Souls seems particularly strong in the format right now. I was thinking about it as you were talking. I think Risen Reef is in the running for my least favorite magic card of all time. I think it's right up there in terms of how it affects games. And I'm going back, especially like its presence in standard and how it would just create like these, weird gross snowballs where like you just had too many resources and the game didn't yeah. feel like magic at, like, like magic at all at that point like when you just do this snowbally stuff it's i don't it's just kind of arbitrary that's the way risen reef feels to me when it goes off and what that means when i say it's one of my least favorite cards is that it's an incredible card it just changes the terms of engagement for games uh in a way that often favors the caster of it so yeah which is more of what I want, I guess, in a format that's powerful, like modern and yeah, makes if sense. You don't know if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing. You know, I, I feel like that that that's a fine place to turn. But I mean, being a little bit more reactive and controlling with counterspell, like I, I definitely see the upside of it. But I don't know. It's just, 
like make make the argument of why I should do that instead of be proactive, especially in an open field. And like, I, I don't think that I would buy any of your arguments. It's almost never been right in the history of modern to to be reactive. You wanted to be the one moving forward. Almost always. There's been some brief exceptions to that. Yeah, I, I would expect it to be true here as well. Yeah, and we'll see what happens after I, I play in, you know, this this tournament and maybe the next one and have have some reps under my belt and everything. Although I will say that if Josh wins the first one, I'm just probably going to play Merktai for the, for the next one. So fair enough. Uh, oh. Why don't you tell me about your Merktide list in that case? Do you do you have anything interesting going on uh, as far as that deck list goes? Yeah, kind of. So the second place list from the challenge last weekend was, again, doing some of the weird stuff that we talked about last week with like two Hearse main deck and mm-hmm. a dress down and two DRCs. This one has a Snapcaster, right? And I, I buy that that stuff is correct for magic online you know if you expect a bunch of mirrors then hearse is great if you expect living in hearse is great right yep. yep and i'm sure the main deck dress down is good uh in this was this the top eight with all the hammer decks too no this was no, the other was, top that eight. was the other one so you know if you expect a bunch of hammer then then that's great there too but i don't know uh after after playing some games i think a lot of the stuff that i thought before was correct where it's like ledger shredder is a little bit clunky not very good with counterspell to make counterspell good you really want to just max on one the drops. good one drops. Yeah. yeah. So I started with like three DRC, three shredder, three Murktide, like that sort of list. And now I'm just four DRC, two shredder. And I, I think that that's good. I'm not sure if that's correct. There are, are definitely matchups where shredder helps you a lot. You have this effective Tarmogoyf against burn on turn two is certainly mm-hmm. better than a bunch of stuff that gets searing blazed or whatever. So I could, I could see it helping in a bunch of different spots, but um, also just having a bunch of one mana spells and, things that can trade it against burn is like going to be good too. So it's, it's hard to figure out like what's actually correct, but uh, I, I think it is just going to be lower mana curve in general. And for open field tournament, I'm not going to go super hard on like curse or anything, obviously going to play them in the sideboard because they're incredible, but it is very interesting to me that the, the hearse opens up some sideboard slots, which I would kind of mm. want for some other stuff too. So maybe, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that cheeky one of hers sneaking in. I could see that happening. To your point about one drops, I think if you're assuming you're among the better players in the field, you can make an even better case for doing the one drop stuff because you just play more games, you get more options, you have more choices on a given turn. And it's one of the reasons why like historically very good players have gravitated towards Delver style archetypes because they do have all the available options to them on a given turn and are able to make multiple different plays. It isn't just A, B, C, follow these lines, do this thing because that's where your mana goes. And, uh, you know, I, I expect these fields in particular to be ones where you are highly favored in terms of play skill. And I'm not at all shocked to hear you defaulting back to more one mana spells, even from like a non-structural level, just like maximizing your chances to win. i very convinced that one mana spells are the way to do that. Yeah, I mean, it just, it matters a lot with the card counterspell, specifically. Like, having cheaper cards in general gives you more options on any given turn, but I think that Ledger Shredder, the card, is certainly more flexible and is going to give you more options for, like, what you get to do with it. So, I I mostly agree with you, but I, I do just want to point out that, you know, DRC, in theory, you get to pick and choose, like, when you want to spend your mana on this thing or whatever, and you're going to have more turns where you get to play multiple spells or whatever. But Ledger Shredder itself, 
you know, you, you can attack, you can block, you filter some more, right? And DRC literally is just like, you have to attack, which which is a downside a lot of the time. You know, like there, there are endurances, there are opposing ledger shredders, Merc Tide, stuff like that, so. For sure. I, there, there's something to be said, though, about like flexibility in play versus flexibility to play and yeah. how those impact games. That's actually a really interesting topic that I, if I was still writing, I would write yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, right? Because it's like, okay, you know, do you want to have like flexibility of options for like what to do in the first four turns or or I guess like first three turns? Or is it like Shredder being able to navigate through like, you know, are are you the beatdown or are you the control in this moment? And like, how quickly do you want to actually just shift that momentum and like try and get your opponent dead and whatnot? And then there's like the filtering aspect on top of it as far as like the decisions you get to make for holding back a spell this turn so that you can shred the next turn and like, mm. what do you discard? What are you looking for? Et cetera, et cetera. It's like, I think, I think that, that would be an interesting topic for maybe even just looking at pros and cons and not necessarily like how it affects win rate or anything, you know, but it's just like you, you are making these choices with how you build your deck and they do have like rippling cascading effects. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I'm also the first to admit that like, playing tons of a low variance game recently has shaped my relationship with variance in a very weird and unexpected way where I thought it was just like static and I had completely embraced and accepted variance and I, you know, know its role and I know how it's supposed to influence things. And now I'm just like, well, damn, just give me more spells I can always cast. Like, especially when I'm playing these 19 land decks, like I, I just want to put things into play and not battle the mana system, like I, I want to have these options, and one drops are far more appealing to me for that kind of play pattern. So. Sure, yeah, I could see that. I mean, it, playing playing Murktide felt nice, absolutely, mm-hmm. because it's super low to the ground, aggressive. You have so much built in card advantage, and yeah. I, I feel like there were some games, oddly, where I wasn't necessarily able to chain like card drawing stuff together, which seems weird when you have like DRC, Shredder, Iteration, Charm, Consider, you know? Yeah, um, half your deck. Yeah, but like you you have that capability to play those games where, you know, your opponent might have something uh, where it's like, I don't know, you know, there are four cards up on you or whatever, but it's like you, you still get to keep pace. It feels very similar to... Legacy Delver, just, you know, low land count chaining brainstorms. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm still keeping up with you, even though you're up like raw cards, but like this deck can actually just go up raw cards too. Man, now that we're having this conversation, I'm just sad I don't own Ragavans because this, this is actually what I want to play in modern, right? Like this is 100% in my wheelhouse. It's, and the, it's your, is it Dreadhorde deck? Yeah. And the, the more I like think about how I want to show up to a modern tournament where I'm not like a hundred percent jamming games all the time invested in it. And and like where I get any kind of edge it's in playing this deck, but I'm just looking at the $600 I'd probably have to shell out to complete this one. And I, uh, Oh my God, Brian, there's $70. I know that you're looking at like foil prices or whatever. Well, obviously yes. And and then I don't have Merc tides either. Those have to be expensive, right? I don't actually know this, but. Um, I mean, I just bought them, but I bought so many cards. I don't remember. Nah, they're 19. That's fine. Okay. That's, that's fine-ish. 19 uh, for regs. Do I have Archmage's Charms? I don't, I don't know about that. Those can't be expensive anymore, right? No, they're Group still like a bunch. Dress downs. I don't think I have. There's just a few like weirdo missing cards that I don't have from this deck, but. You're too busy buying amulet cards and didn't buy the good stuff. I know. 
I know. I'm so stupid. Why do I do this to myself repeatedly? Dude, especially for modern, you can't buy foils, man. They're too expensive. Yeah. All right, so Josh Josh is going to win the first PTQ with Merktide. I'll win the second one, and then I'll just mail you my deck. Yeah, yeah, just ship it. That's good. That's easy enough. Easy game. And, and I don't I don't have a modern one on my schedule yet anyway, so it's like this is very theoretical, and uh, as soon as oh, I yeah. don't just crush this first Pioneer event, which I will obviously do. Dude, just modern. make some friends. You definitely have people there who can just like loan you non-foil Merktide. I'm the, that's me. I'm the guy who loans out everything. Like that's always been my role in this area. And now I'm doing it in two games, just lending out cards left and right. So, well, I mean, there's gotta be someone. There does have to be someone. Someone has to like own cards and like buy cards and stimulate the card store economy. Nah, in your area. Me. I'm the only one. <laughs> I own everything. Everyone just comes to me. Well, it's yeah, me you... and one other guy, my buddy Ryan also owns everything. And everyone okay. goes to well, as well. So, does does he not have Merktide? I mean, come on. He he probably does. He's a very busy guy though, but I'll bug him. That's a good idea. Yeah, if he's very busy, it means he's not going to be using it. Perfect. Almost certainly not, yeah. And he's probably got like 400 of them, so just the perfect guy to bug. Yeah, so uh if you are budding card store owner would like to make a bunch of money, just move next to Brian. Apparently, yeah, seriously, he they, they could like Yeah, just set up like on my property and just like a little shack, sell me cards. I'll walk outside twice, three times a day and just purchase from you. Man, it's like, you know, like Elder Scrolls or like Breath of the Wild type of thing. You just go outside. There's like just some traveling merchant. Yeah, the NPCs are just lined up yep. up and down my driveway and they get me every time. <laughs> oh, man. I'm I'm sure that's worth it, honestly, for for some for way. For the NPCs? Right? Well, the NPCs, it's it's hard to gauge because like how valuable is their time or whatever, right? It's like they're they're not they're not real. I don't know. I, I feel like you're being real. This is NPC is slander, is what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, I don't I don't know what the term is for. They all have their their very they all matter. NPCs matter. Do you just are you the type of dude who like in an RPG just walks around like murdering the NPCs? Uh, no, I'm, I'm like too you scared. Hesi- to you hesitated a very long time before you so, answered this question. So I would like to, but I don't know. Thinking about like playing, playing like Witcher three or whatever. Yeah. Uh, not a game I would normally play, but needed something to do during the pandemic. You understand? Yeah. And I have it like, on my steam deck right now. I just, yeah, I just installed it. Of Maybe course. I'll play it I, I played it on my switch and it was pretty bad because the load times were awful. So mm, there you go. Plus one for the steam deck. Like that option exists and it's just like, well, I want to play the game and I don't necessarily want to like lock myself out of content by like, oh, you just murder our entire town. Obviously, I'm not going to give you a side quest or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like I kind of want to do that, but it's just it's so it feels so final. Yeah. What about So I've never done it, but I would like to do it just to see what happens. But then I'm also like, well, I want to play the game and I'm not going to play the game a second time just to murder everyone. So. I'm I'm assuming you didn't play much like GTA ever throughout your life, right? No, no. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to check if you would like ever just like stop what you were doing and just go on a bit of a rampage, you know, pop off a few rounds and see well, what kind of chaos you could get up to. That's what you're supposed to do, right? So, I, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like I could, but then also because you're supposed to do it, it probably wouldn't feel as good. Yeah, I, I don't do it. I, like I, I play GTA very much straight laced and complete my missions when I do it. So uh, I don't know. I just like I have a lot of love for the NPCs. I just want them to be able to go about their business and just try to live. That's all. I don't need to interject my uh, my rampages on them. There's plenty of other things for me to murder in these games. Yeah, go murder some wolves or whatever. I mean, yeah, there, wolves, there are some geists, you know. Yeah, dragons. There are, there are some NPCs where it's like, oh, this this character is really well done, right? But the, just so many of them 
feel like very flat and clearly did not have like a lot of care put into them. And it's like, I kind of feel bad because I know what is possible in that realm for you to create like an NPC that is adored and people love mm-hmm. and yep. may not want to murder or whatever. But yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm mostly looking at it through like the average NPC is like, you know, probably no one cares. Except for Do you, you know anything about Disco Elysium? I, I know that it exists, but that's okay. about it. I, I wonder how you would engage with that game. I wonder if you would enjoy it. I am not like a fanatic about it. I know there's people who see it as like one of the best games ever made. I, I have dabbled in it and I, I want to dabble a little bit more deeply, but it's very interesting for like, it basically is just an NPC simulator. Like it's all just engaging with NPCs and kind of like engaging with yourself and your mental state much more than anything else you would expect in an RPG. I don't know. I, it would be interesting to watch you play it and watch your assessment of it. Well, so in, in something like that where it's like, yeah, the NPCs are meant to be fleshed out or whatever, then then I'm, I'm not going to want to kill them because they're uh, not, not going to feel like NPCs. They, they have a lot to them, but like, I, I still think there are some you may want to kill. And also like you're encouraged, like the entire setup is the game is to like role play these varying forms of your own character down to their ideologies. So like, you can play in a certain way and your character will get like a feminist bonus because he treats uh, non-males a certain way. And you can play a certain way and you'll get a communist bonus because you engage with the economy in a certain way. So I think when that's the case, you're incentivized to be like, well, what is what is this character? How do they act in this situation if they're just like an unhinged lunatic? And you can play in that fashion and like flesh it out. Right, but I'd rather go back to being like a, a feminist communist than being a murderer, right? I wouldn't want to like de- delete my save file. It's designed for multiple playthroughs. So I, I am I am currently playing a version of like just a loose cannon, like substance abusing uh lead character who's just completely out of his mind. But I yeah, wanna but go I don't, back I don't play, want to like, go back to my twenties, Brian. <laughs> I guess I do. I don't know. That's just kind of what I want to explore a little bit in this first playthrough. But I am curious to play like a more straight laced playthrough. Or even like a more just murderous playthrough. I think that's interesting as well. Just to see how the game reacts around you because it, I mean, this game is set up as a sandbox for that. It's not a sandbox for killing dragons. It's a sandbox specifically for dealing with issues of like emotion and intent and human motivation. So, yeah, I still can't do multiple playthroughs on things. If it's like short, then maybe. But I don't even like roguelike stuff doesn't hit me all that much. Interesting. I like roguelikes because they call back to like my 8-bit experience. Like I've, I've been playing a lot of Rogue Legacy lately, and it just like has the feel of playing a really good Castlevania or Mega Man game uh, in a in a way that varies enough that I enjoy playing it multiple times. Yeah, I want to I want to play once, collect all the things, get kind of strong, fight some hard bosses, you know, and then just be done. Interesting. Interesting. I'm weird. All right. Magic. Oh, sorry. Back to magic. Yeah, yeah. That, that was the old uh, mid cast detour as opposed to the starting cast detour. And then we'll probably get one more in before the end. Uh, I, I hope not. I don't think we have time for that, but we'll oh, see. Okay. Yeah. So four color risen reef stuff. I, like I said, I'm, you know, working on solidifying these deck lists. So I know what cars to get and working on like sideboarding guides. We'll hopefully post those at some point, but no promises. And the Merktide deck is pretty straight laced, kind of boring. And then trying to figure out the sideboard is pretty interesting, especially like, again, this super open field, like, 
You know, if I, if I had 20 cyborg cards, I'd be really happy. But instead, I'm just like, uh, God, I have to like sacrifice something and it's it's going to mm. bite us. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that's just how these unlicensed hearths started creeping into main decks where people just trying to find some way to squeeze out that one extra sideboard slot. And it's like, this is my most main deckable sideboard card. So this is how I get that extra slot. Yeah, but then I don't know. The sideboard has like a Hercules recall in it uh, from the second place challenge. It's like I that might have been like my 21st sideboard card, I guess. But I was not fighting super hard to get that one in there. So I don't know. well, th- this is on the day, I think. Wait, let me check before I say this. Nope, never mind. I was going to say this is on the day after there was like five uh, hammers. hammers in the yeah. topic. It's actually the day before. So no, yep. I, I got nothing for you. Uh, ahead of your time, you know? Yep. Or or maybe just beat them all with, with yeah. the Hercules. Who knows? Yeah, the Hercules just shut out all the hammers. from. The I don't know. I'd rather have a Fury than a Hercules. You know? like Give me, give me the second Fury. Let's go. I agree with you. I do a have, an OG. A bunch of I have an OG Hercules, though, that I would love to play. So that might actually just like push me in that direction. Oh, my God. But it's not foil. It isn't. That's true. That's true. This deck won't be 100% foil, though. Just, again, really? dude, borrow it, borrow it from your friends. You're fine. Okay. You got it. All non-foil, white-bordered, like, fourth edition Hercules recall. Just completely hideous. I, I like those too. <laughs> it's either got to be the nicest version or the worst version possible. I'm yeah. down with either. So I don't know. I, I'm not sure how much there is to say about Merktide. I think that there were like a lot of interesting scenarios that came up when we were playing as far as, uh, you know, what to do in specific situations. Josh had not really, you know, like he knows the cards or whatever, but like had not played with all the new modern stuff. So. Yeah, what, what blew his mind the most? Like, what was the card that he just like couldn't believe existed? <laughs> that was endurance, which which I'll get to. I'll get to. Okay. But the first thing was like him playing turn one Ragavan on the draw. I was like, oh, you're you're about to learn a lesson, and I just like <laughs> ran and sixed it. It's like, yep, you just you can't do that, you know, yeah. uh, un- unless you know that like it's going to die and it's going to be fine, right? There there was a scenario that I played from the other side where I was like, well, I have Ragavan on the draw. They could run and six this, but I just have to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause my man, my man is tied up. I'm, I'm light on lands and I have like a heat to finish off the thing or whatever. So, okay. um, there, the, there was that, I think there was another thing where it was like, okay, I learned a lesson there. Good, good, good. But I forget the endurance thing was, uh, I, I played a cavern. We're playing some post games. Uh, so I have one main and it showed up a couple times or whatever, but, uh, then it just like repeatedly showed up in the post mm-hmm. games. And yeah. so I like play a cavern on three and pass and, he attacks with a DRC and a Ragavan, and I put the endurance in into play. And he's just like confused. He's just like, "What does the evoke do?" I was like, "Yeah, just you know, shuffle your graveyard, put it on the bottom or whatever." And he's like, "Okay," and I'm like, "Okay, block your Ragavan." He's like, "What? That only costs three? <laughs> it does um, a lot." I was like, "Yep." And then the next game, it was like main A. You know, Bobble, consider, enable Delirium for DRC, attack, I play Endurance, and he's just like, okay, like, you know, take take one instead or whatever. And I was like, no, block. <laughs> Whammy. Or no, what, I, maybe, maybe like that didn't even matter or whatever, but because it doesn't like naturally have flying. So I think I, maybe it was that attack. I don't know. But at, at some point he was like, what that has reach too? Like, what, you know, what the hell? And then he was just like mad that it had four toughness because there was like a lightning bolt involved at some point, you know? So I, I think that was the one where it was just like, why is there so much tax? I was like, yeah, why do you think this was like $70, you know? Yeah, hell of a card. Hell of a card. 
So that was probably the one where he was just like, what the hell? You know, it's it's like not even that offensive. It just does everything. Like, right. It, absolutely everything you could want from it. Yeah. So that that was kind of the problem. Because every time it, it got cast, it was just like, oh, it has, it gets another line of text or whatever. <laughs> Find something new. Some new way to ruin your game plan. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, oh, it has like flash too. And it's like, yeah, I mean, why not? Got it. Got to have the flash for that evocability. So what what else was it? Uh, it's like Cavern Souls went a long way. Definitely made life pretty miserable. Risen Reef, I was able to like sneak into play and then had to eat a burn spell after it like already drew me a card, basically, which was mm-hmm. pretty nice. Josh's Ragavans hit my Teferis a lot, which was like pretty annoying. Okay. But maybe maybe not that out of the ordinary. And then, yeah, it was just like trying some different sideboard configurations and figuring out like what would help more. It's like game one is maybe pretty close, but then four color can just side in like eight of the best cards possible against Merktide. And then it's like, what, what do you do? You know, because Merktide is getting like very small upgrades. Well, yeah. I mean, what do you do from the Merktide side? Is it, you do you try and play like some of the bigger stuff? Like do you go, moon setups where you try and mess with their mana and then like try and stick something big like Jace or I mean doing most of the time you can try and moon them I just hate blood moon in general especially against a deck that so you're an aggro deck right yeah and they are pretty heavily incentivized to fetch basics early and they have abundant growth so even if they don't know that you were siding in blood moon, it's still very unlikely to actually get them. And like, yeah, you can lock them off of like a color or something, but even then it's maybe not doing like a great job or uh, you're just like not locking them off a color no matter what, or they can just still function without that color. And you know, the, the color that they are least likely to fetch a basic for is mountain. So, you know, they're, they're going for blue and green immediately and then maybe white. So it just it just doesn't really matter. But yeah, it was like you get some mystical disputes and some dress downs and it was questionable whether or not dress down was actually good because uh, like in theory, like, yeah, it can stop a solitude trigger or like brick and Omnath for a turn and then you get to kill it cleanly or whatever. But just like keeping two mana open to do that is really tough. Yeah, I see a Torpor Orb in this second place list. Is it? more effective to just do something like that and have it be a permanent solution. And so I think Torporb is awesome, but they also have prismatic ending. Right. And and just, you know, stuff like Teferi too, where it's like, all right, I'll get rid of this for a turn, then do my Omneth stuff or my Risen Reef stuff. Yeah. All problematic for sure. So it's, it's not a great solution, but I do, I do think I might add one to the sideboard because it, it does do stuff and like you can just slow roll it to like turn four and try and protect it with counterspell and stuff like that. Right. That's what I was going to say is it has to become kind of like a, a long game plan where you're actually building around protecting this thing and leveraging your tempo. So I think having more like if I want to do torpor orb stuff, I probably just want more ways to interact and like so mystical dispute subtlety torpor orb and having a little bit more disruption. That sort of makes sense to me. Well, subtlety torpor orb is a little not bit. a good combination. Yeah, not a good combination. Yeah, you need you need subtlety to like do the early stuff and then lead into torpor orb. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, even then, you're just like throwing cards away to just memory lapse them, basically, which I don't think is a good plan because uh, the games do go long. A lot of your cards do trade, and even if you're successfully torpor orbing them. 
I mean, they, they can just put in like free elementals, right? You can just like pitch your solitude into play at that point. And it's not going to die. And then you just have like a lifelinker and like your Omnap is still big. So yeah, pretty scary. Yeah. It's not, it's not like it completely shuts them down. It just like shuts down a lot of their value, which is pretty nice. But yeah, definitely tough. I mean, if, if the four color deck is not prepared, then I think it's probably fine. You know, maybe they're cutting on Veil of Summers or like don't have Supreme Verdict or something, but when they do have all that stuff, it's just, oh man, all the cards are so good against Murktide at that point. Yeah, is, is there any way to like slant in a more aggressive direction if you're the Murktide deck? Like, can can you find some more offense where you're more likely to pressure through that disruption or is the disruption just too good at that point and they're going to find some way to slow you down effectively? I mean, I think it's... I think the cards are all really good and I think that your deck is... So head up, so set up heavily for like counterspell, you know, mystical dispute, Archmage's term, like type of interaction that those things really hammer you. And there's not a lot of good ways to get around it. And even if you were like, I'm going to board in four lava spikes or whatever, which was, I don't know, a thing in one of the old legacy Delver decks, very questionable. But you know, so, something along those lines where you're like, I'm going to get more aggressive. I need to in this matchup. It's just like still won't even get there i don't think you know even if they have like a veil of summer that now basically has no targets Mm -hmm. interesting i will say that the burn is just generally a tough matchup for four color i mean like you have good cards for the matchup but you're also playing 80 cards and have to draw the right ones so uh that is kind of tough but yeah yeah, a a lot of burn around these top eights as well doing yeah pretty well there's one in third and eighth uh in this saturday challenge and i think there's some in the sunday challenge as well Maybe a little bit further down. Yeah, so I don't know if you could yeah, be like, well, I'm going to play fewer counter spells and more things that actually can like burn my opponent out than maybe, but it's like burn is good because of the density, right? Yep, makes sense. I don't know if there's, you know, some hexproof threat that you could board in maybe or something to prevent life gain that's hard to deal with. The problem is even if you're playing like Roiling Vortex or something, it has the same problems as Torpor where they have Prismatic Ending, yeah. um, which is, again, eight, you know, 80 cards. They're incentivized to use Ending on like a one drop if they have it and stuff, but it's it's really not that difficult for them to remove. Like you would need something that is just like, oh, I just actually can't deal with this. Some big, dumb, blue, unkillable thing, possibly. Yeah, but I don't know. I can't, I can't think of anything. So instead it's just like, well, I'm going to try and not get got by veil of summer, which is really hard and try not overextend into Supreme verdict, which you can do, but then gives them more time to just establish whatever they want. Yep. Classic problem. Yeah. uh, It just gets really hard after board. I mean, you can just kind of hope that they flood out or don't draw the right answers to the right threats. Uh, Murktide specifically requires specific things because prismatic ending and, and heat don't necessarily tag it. So uh, you're, you're trying to stop Teferi from resolving in general. I think, you know, that's maybe the most important card for you to stop. Yep. yep. And then they have solitude, which maybe they'll have to burn on something early. So like, yeah, maybe like a late game Mark tide can kind of stick, but that's again, why Supreme Raid's there. So it, do, it does not feel good. And in the meantime, you're like, oh, I'm going to play a DRC and like sit back on Counterspell. And then they just cavernous souls you. And it's like, oh. Yeah. There's a reason why this deck has been either at the top or among the top choices for quite a long period of time. And it's because they can kind of do everything. So, 
Right. But I mean, the saving grace is like more things are rising up to, to beat up on it. And also it's like a $1,200 deck. And mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe real life will mirror online a little bit closer and we won't see as much four color in these PTQs. It'll be interesting to see. But I mean, Murktide is just like such a good deck in a vacuum. And then obviously it has its own personal matchup spread, which has some hits and some misses, but it has so much game against just everything, right? That even if you have one pretty bad matchup that I, I think you're still doing okay. And then that's assuming that like the other person is like set up for you and knows how to play the matchup and is just relatively competent and stuff, which, you know, might be a a tall ask. For sure. You got to account for all that when you're doing the local scene. I'm, I'm so looking forward to getting your feedback on, you know, what the actual tournaments are like, what the, the metagames are like, uh, what your experience is like. It, it should be really, really interesting. And when is your first one? Uh, not this weekend, but next weekend is the the Pioneer event. And then we'll see after that, you know, what I want to travel to. Uh, but there's some other options close by after that. All right. And are you locked in for blue-white for Pioneer? No, I, I'm fairly likely to just play Lotus Field. Uh you know, it won a challenge this past week, so starting to finally put up some results. I think that in terms of like the things I will be able to practice and learn, Lotus Field is pretty high up. I've played a bunch in the past, so I'm already like halfway there. I think people are underprepared for it. I think people don't want to account for it. So I'm fairly likely to just go ahead and play Lotus Field. But I, I do have blue-white in my pocket should I have to do that. Yeah, I will say like while Josh and I sat down and like actually did work for a couple days. If the matchup was not fun to play, we would have stopped playing like a long sure. time ago. So I, I would not have tested against Lotus field. Absolutely not. I don't, I don't think anyone wants to, it's, it's not fun, not fun to be on the other side of. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have some stuff to report after this. Maybe I'll just get annihilated in modern and like win the sealed PTQ. I don't know. Sounds reasonable. But then the week after that's your time, buddy, you gotta, you gotta do some reporting. I will report back, uh, possibly a brief report, but whatever it is, you will have full disclosure on how my tournament experience goes. Oh, then we can just talk about the newest Marvel Snap card you got. That's fine. Excellent. I just I just got some pretty good ones today, so I, I will be very happy to do that. Uh, all right. We are well over an hour. You said you may or may not go off topic for a little bit. This is your chance. Otherwise, we're done. No, I'm good. I, I have started to uh, wear my voice down, but not mm. so much. That I can't say game. Good luck.